what was what was that last line? A, a little crooked but warm, or uneven? Thank, yeah, that's better than crooked. Sorry, I shouldn't use that word in here today, especially. I know. I'm just. Gosh. No, and I see I didn't even mean it that way either. But anyway, okay. Uh, right. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> If you could see the energy in here, and I told you about this last Sunday, that uh, you know, if you were to drop by, of course you can't get near the place because we have SWAT teams on the, the roof here and everything else. And uh, the first morning I came in, I don't know, I didn't have the right badge on or something. I got tackled by three security guys out there in the parking lot. So probably was better that you didn't come. But there's just the, the excitement. Not, I'm not talking about the kids. I'm talking about the staff. You know, the 110 people that were here and that it took to pull this thing off and does every year. It's just, it really is amazing. And we truly are uh, blessed as a church. And it does speak to the impact that Christ has on one's life. You know, the rule of thumb in, in church as a general is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And uh, that certainly isn't the case when it comes to VBS, to be sure. And we're so grateful for that. Well, this morning I've, I've uh, not in Mark this week. We've been going through Mark since a year ago, April, and we will pick that up next week. Uh, but in light of the week and uh, today's service and everything, we're going to start with uh, a text from Luke chapter 18. It says, The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And the immediate context or the rest of that verse is that the disciples were called to Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So with the limited time that I have this morning, this isn't going to be a theology of tr- children. It's intended to be an explanation, actually more of a, of a description of what true equality is, where it derives from, and then a bit peripherally, admittedly, why the scriptures seem to pay more attention to children than a babysitter at a festival of clowns. Really? (laughs) It took some work not to get a really creepy-looking clown. But anyway, so this is VBS week, and it is a time, you're getting a taste of it this morning, of greatly organized pandemonium. And by the way, after the service this morning, okay, do not call, do not text, do not try to arouse anyone who is with the VBS staff until after Wednesday, at least, all right, because they'll be just unconscious. Well, something that surprised me as I was in preparation for this particular message is how often compared to other supremely important topics in the scriptures, the words child, children, and little ones are mentioned compared to other, like I say, supremely important topics like the Holy Spirit. Those words, the Holy Spirit, occurs 93 times in the Scriptures. Jesus, Messiah, and Savior all together combined only come up 140 times. Salvation is mentioned 160 times. Sin, 430 times. And heaven is mentioned 460 times. But child, children, and little ones are mentioned just a hair under 900 times. Did I mention this was VBS week? Why do we put so much effort into these little ones and not so little ones who, pragmatically speaking, can give back so little? 
Well, it's because of this, and again, this is the whole point of of the message this morning. Every child, every child, without exception, in every age, in every part of the inhabited world is endowed with what theologians call the Imago Dei, that is, the image of God. It is what makes people people instead of animals or vegetation, and it occurs at the moment of of conception. Now, I know that is greatly dismissed today, but that is the fact. It occurs at the moment of conception. And until very recent times, and I mean not just through the course of history, but even in the course of what I would call medieval or modern history, the fact of the matter is, is that life beginning at the moment of conception, again, which is tantamount to being indwelt by the image of God, until very recent times, that was the default position of science and medicine both. It was the majority position of both scientists and theologians alike having its beginnings in the book that's called the beginnings, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible in the very first chapter. This is what we read in verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It is that image of God which is the unique stamp of divinity that God places on every human being. And I'm talking about from the beginning of time forward, on every human being who is, who is conceived. And please don't confuse what I just said with some of the more popular, even mythical understandings of God. You have Obi-Wan Kenobi, for example, telling Luke, it's an energy field created by all living things called the force. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, and it binds the galaxies together. Well, that's nice for Lucas but, and Spielberg, but no. Don't confuse it with the New Age nonsense of what is sometimes called, even yet today, that divine spark inside of us. We are not all gods or even partly God, which was the specious foundation, those of you who are old enough to remember the very foundations of the New Age movement upon which they were constructed. We do not have the spark of deity inside of us, which only needs to be fanned to be brought to a greater realization of our divinity. The Imago Dei, the image of God in us, is none of those things. Rather, the image of God is what separates mankind from the rest of the entire created order and sets us above all life. David Marble, he marbles, he's talking with marbles in his mouth. David marvels at the thought of this when he writes in Psalm 8, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. This psalm of David assumes a biblical anthropology, that is, a biblical idea or concept of man that I just just touched on. We are, in fact, special, and we are special to God, but we are not God, nor are we God's small g. But we are unique. And we are unique within the entire created order. This is why when we run over a squirrel, we don't grab our phones and tap 911 or we don't inform the authorities. 
This is why no one is charged with murder for hunting and, in fact, are issued permits to go out and harvest deer and duck and what have you. This is why when we catch a fish and, and we gut it streamside to get ready to take it home and, and eat it, there's no YouTube video that's made going viral inciting, inciting crimes against fishism or some such thing. Last Monday, I went to uh, Agway. I have a very humble vineyard in my uh, yard that I've spent uh, now. It's probably about 20 years, at least some of the vines are about 20 years old. Uh, I don't do much with them because um, there's not much you can do with them. But still, they're just kind of this source of, of uh, whatever, and I'm out there almost daily checking on them. And, of course, you know what time of year it is. It's the year. Yeah. So anyway, I went to get some seven dust at Agway. And my intention and my hopes was bringing about the genocide of Popilia japonica. Yeah, the Japanese beetle. And when I did so, there were no cries for an international tribunal for crimes against Coleoptera. It's because humans are unique. Which is why we were and are always to be treated in a class by ourselves compared to the rest of creation. And part of that uniqueness is not just the image of God, but it's also the knowledge of God that is instilled, the knowledge of God that is instilled within everyone with the Imago Dei at the point of conception. Now, a great theological uh, question that loves to be still argued even to this day is whether or not this innate knowledge that God has placed in us is sufficient for salvation. I can only touch on that, but time doesn't really permit me to do it justice this morning. But that knowledge is clearly sufficient to and is clearly intended to draw everyone born into the world into a deeper relationship with God that leads, that leads to a saving relationship with Him personally. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16. Well, this is better explained in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome in the New Testament in chapter 1. It's ever so compelling, and it's also profoundly clarifying. Now remember, the point of all of this is to help us understand why children hold a special place in the Lord's heart and why we here at faith invest so much into them. The initial verse that I start with in Romans 1 is Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul writing, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. First note that that is the immediate context for what follows, for what I am about to read. It is in fact the good news of God's mercy towards mankind. Now, here's what follows what I just read. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What? That doesn't sound like good news. But you see, the good news of God today is hardly good news, or at least it hardly seems like good news popularly, because we are running on the updated popular version of God. The culture around us is on version 2.0.1.6. And this current version of God 
is a marshmallow, no morals, unicorn riding, hashtag fluffy pillow deity who never stops smiling. But the Holy Spirit tells us quite the opposite. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And we can't just write this off, as is frequently done, as attributing it to, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament picture of God, the God of wrath, and the God of angry who's always smiting people and everything else. No, this is the New Testament. And it's a heavy theological book, perhaps one of the heaviest in the New Testament which explains our desperate need for God's mercy and grace. And when we understand that, this is, in fact, great news that God died for the sins of the whole world and desires that no one perish. Well, back to the verse at hand. So why is God so angry? And with whom is he angry? The passage continues. He's angry at those, according to the text, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth with a capital T, you see, has to be resisted and pushed down and buried by mankind. Well, maybe they can't help it. Or maybe they don't have this knowledge you're talking about. Remember those people who live way in the foregone, forsaken, you know, places of the earth that are so completely primitive they have no contact with the outside world. If God's angry at them, it it just sounds so unfair. So why in heaven's name is God angry even with them? The scripture tells us. Let's keep reading the passage. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Thus saith the Lord. Now, if you'll permit me, let me take the original language of that passage and translate it from the original in a way that better reflects, albeit more cumbersome, better reflects the grammar of the text, which is, I think, helpful. It would read something like this. For since the creation of the world, stop. Okay, is anybody exempted? I mean, we're starting at the very creation of the world, which means nobody is exempt. So this is all-inclusive, absolutely. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, what do you mean by his invisible attributes? Like what? Namely, his eternal power and divine nature. God himself is causing them. It's a present passive participle, which means it is an ongoing continuous action that is being done to mankind from the moment of inception. To be clearly seen. God is causing them to be clearly seen. That is his attributes. God himself making them, reflecting the participle way you translate a participle, making them the continuously understanding ones. That is understanding through what has been made so that they are unapologetos. The word in the English we get the word apologetics from. We just had a big apologetics conference a few months ago back uh, up in Bangor. Apologetics isn't where you go to learn how to say I'm sorry. 
Apologetics is learning how to make a defense, learning how to, how to have an argument against either the criticisms or the questions of the day and how to explain those things. This says because God has done this, there is no one who has an explanation or an argument or quite accurately reflected is without excuse. They are without argument. They cannot say, nobody can say, well, yeah, but, but I, but I, I couldn't, I didn't, I, there is no excuse because God says that since the creation of the world, he has personally given everyone understanding of those two very beginning aspects of who God is, his eternal power and his divine nature. And that embryonic knowledge of God is there from birth because God says he himself put it there. Which means that all children, without exception, everywhere, come into the world with a predisposition to believing in God. In other words, that is humanity's default position. Belief is the default position of mankind because God put it within us. Nobody is born a blank slate where God's concerned. And then, as time goes on in that person's life, depending on who fills out the lines of that blank slate, that is where a person either turns toward greater faith and more faith or turns away from faith. And so you see the whole nurture versus nature argument is valid only once the default position of every child is understood. And the default position, again, is they come into the world already believing in God. Now, another way of saying this that might be a little easier is that everyone comes into the world, again, already predisposed toward belief in the biblical creator of the universe. And then they have to have that inborn predisposition to believe altered or mangled or dismantled in order to bring about disbelief in the creator of the Bible. So now, thinking back, to the past several weeks that we've been in in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus made some really harsh statements concerning those who would treat the little ones with contempt. You remember he warned people who are responsible for altering and undoing one's faith or in any way inhibiting a little one's ability to learn, learn more and more about the true God of the universe, his, his sentiments are quite understandable, saying it would be better that a millstone were tied around the neck of that one and be tossed into the sea. So from the churches around the world, which teach a different God than the one laid out on the pages of Scripture, to the educators who purposely attack matters of faith, to the parents who undermine their own children's faith, and anyone else anyone can imagine who is used for the purposes of taking someone further away from the Lord, God will not be charitable. There will be a day of reckoning. This is why we do what we do here at Faith. Our goal, our mission, and our passion is to take that natural 
inborn desire and hunger for God, given it birth, and nurture it and build it and strengthen it to the glory of God, to the joy and the hope of the individual. So over the five days that the children were together with us, day one, the theme was hope. Without an empty cross and without an empty tomb, there is no hope because Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but by me. Day number two, we talked about courage, and I gave some examples from the army. And I said that sometimes courage is is thought to be actions without fear. I said, that's not courage. I said, courage is action in spite of fear. And we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's colleagues, who were ordered by Nebuchadnezzar to bow down before the, the, the false god, the idol that he had erected upon penalty of death in the fiery furnace, if they didn't. And they said, sorry, king. We cannot do it, for it would be an insult to our god. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they were miraculously delivered. Day three was all about direction. Oh, I got stories about direction. I am notorious for my lack of inherent direction and my notorious ability to mess up all manner of technology and still get lost because equipment fails. And where equipment doesn't fail, people don't trust their instruments. I'm speaking from personal experience. And yet Jesus never fails. And yet that doesn't mean that we won't necessarily be taken on a circuitous route in our lives with difficulty and struggle. Think about the 40 years of the wandering of God's people in the wilderness. That was not by happenstance or bad luck. God had orchestrated that in the long run for their good. And what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 2 says, The Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wanderings through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. He was still very present with them. And he took care of them and provided for them. But it was a grueling 40 years in the wilderness. Day four was all about love. And the children saw a very a very special visual and audio presentation. You saw a couple of slides in one of the shows that we saw of the backlight of the curtain with Don Cole just uh, telling the story about the love of God and Jesus and his dying for sins and being crucified. And you could see the empty cross through this backlit lit, uh, curtain and, and, and empty afterwards, but at first there was, a, there was a live person on that. It was very compelling. And I think about Jesus' words before all of that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me, and yet not my will, but your will be done. There is no greater demonstration of love than what God has done for us through our Savior, Jesus. And the last day was about power. I started this pericope this morning from Romans 1 saying, I am not ashamed, Paul writing, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And finally, one of the last things Jesus did before he went back to heaven, 
until the next time that we're still awaiting for him to return. He said to the disciples, you will receive supernatural divine power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this is why we are trying to build in. We know we're just planting seeds and God says that one man waters Another fertilizes, another gives, but God gives the increase. And we are trusting God to take the seeds that are sown and to build up the church of the next generation to go forth in his power and might to tell people and show people by their lives the hope that we have because of Jesus. Let me have you stand. Father in heaven, you are Lord over all the nations. And from our puny little vantage points, it sure doesn't seem like it oftentimes, and even more so as the days grow longer. But Lord, we know that you are ultimately in control, and we are relieved with that, and yet there is much to be done for you as you have given us much responsibility. Lord, this is one of the strangest elections in my lifetime. And so I pray for us all for your wisdom, for your knowledge, for your conviction of the Holy Spirit within your people to be guided to know, O oh God, what you would have us to do and to be courage and bold to do it and to do that which would be pleasing unto you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray.